Welcome to He's Dead Jim, the podcast where we travel back through Star Trek, the original series, one episode at a time. I'm Mick McConnell, and welcome my awesome pal, Emily Lind. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm very good. I've got a serious question for you this week, Emily. Okay. Are you ready to travel back to Talos 4? Oh, man, do we ever travel back there. The Forbidden Planet. Uh, so this week we're going to uh, recap The Menagerie, which is a two-part episode. So that's uh, in season one, episode 11 and 12, or 12 and 13 on Netflix. Uh, and this is basically, it's written by Gene Roddenberry. And this is how um, Gene repackages the pilot, the first pilot episode uh, called The Cage with uh, Captain Christopher Pike. Uh, so the pilot, uh, if you heard our first episode of He's Dead Jim, the pilot uh, was originally rejected by NBC, uh, but it's a pretty good pilot. It's, it's you know, well-produced, had all the special effects and everything done. What are your thoughts on The Menagerie? I kind of wish that I hadn't watched The Cage. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually... Yeah, I'm in two minds about that. So, yeah, we've got to remember TV. this aired in 1966, so TV audiences have never seen The Cage, and this is their first introduction to Christopher Pike. Yeah, it would have been, I don't know, it's just, it makes it sort of hard to judge in terms yeah. of, of the quality of the episode because so many of my problems were just that I was bored because I had seen all this stuff before. Yeah, uh, so, so I guess if, you, if you've already seen the cage, most of the cage footage is in part two. Um, so I guess you can sort of watch part one and then, um, you know, I mean, it's still fun to watch again if you haven't seen it in a while, watch part two. Otherwise, you can sort of skip through most of it and then you get a cool twist at the end. Yeah, yeah. It's it, there's, there's some, like, things about it that as an artifact of Star Trek are really interesting. Like, it's the only... In the original series, I believe it's the only two-parter. And it's just interesting because it's, yeah, it's sort of, I mean, ostensibly, it's a flashback episode. So in terms of the, um, just sort of the feel and the format of the episode, it's very different. Yeah, and, and I, I think it's good. It's it's um, like they haven't, it doesn't feel like a cheap episode, uh, like a cheap sort of, remake how do we quickly you know repackage this old footage to get our money's worth out of it like it it's well done yeah the, the story uh, that they built around it is really interesting yeah yeah that's pretty good so it's yeah written by gene roddenberry himself the first part is directed by mark daniels the second part is directed by robert butler who directed the original the cage so that all makes sense it's our first introduction to Christopher Pike, uh, who appears in the rebooted J.J. Abrams movies. Uh, he's also set to make an appearance in dis the new season of Discovery, I believe. Yeah, I thought I read that somewhere. Uh, so basically, Pike in the original pilot, he was played by Jeffrey Hunter, uh, who was a film actor. One of his sort of major roles was the 1961 epic King of Kings, Basically, when they went back to shoot a second pilot for Star Trek, uh, Jeffrey wasn't interested and he was able to get out of his contract. So 
we get the new shots of um, Christopher Pike uh, played by Sean Kenny, who's an actor that's played a couple of other roles in this original series. Yeah, and they he's like covered in like burns, I guess. Yeah, so that's a getaway with it. He's um, yeah, badly disfigured. He's severely disabled. He's basically paralyzed. So that's pretty easy to get away with a different actor. He doesn't actually have to say or do anything. And he's under layers of you know, heavy, scarred makeup. Um, so we start off uh, orbiting with the Enterprise orbiting a purple planet. We cut to shots of this planet, which is uh, Starbase 11. So it's a cool, futuristic city with Starfleet people walking about. Uh, and the background is an awesome sort of purple sky. We see a few nearby planets, including a, a really large um, Saturn-like planet with rings, which is really cool. I want this as my my uh, phone wallpaper. <laughs> it was really nice. It's very cool. And and um, a lot of detail, like as we get other shots around the city, like it's cool architecture and, and, and there's really nice sculptures and things around. I'd, I'd, I'd like to go. I'd like to visit this place. If we had a yeah, if we had a holodeck, I'd load it up. So Starbase Eleven's pretty cool. We get Kirk, Spock, and McCoy beaming in, and they're greeted by a woman who says that the Commodore is waiting to see them, and he's curious why they suddenly changed course to come here. And Kirk says we received a subspace message asking us to divert here immediately, and then the woman replies the base sent no message, Captain. So something's up straight away. Commodore Mendez. Uh, when they get to meet him, he says he didn't send a message. Kirk says Spock received one. Um, Commodore takes him to see Captain Pike. Uh, and Captain Pike is, he was in an accident. Uh, apparently he was a hero that rest, saved several people's lives, pulled him out of some dangerous situation and in the process is exposed to Delta rays. And now he's totally paralyzed. He's been kept alive in a metallic box with wheels, so I guess like a, it's kind of like an iron lung on wheels, except he's sitting upright. Uh, his face is badly scarred, completely expressionless. Uh, basically, the only thing he can do is sort of move his eyes a little bit. Uh, and he communicates by beeping once for yes and two beeps for no. Yeah, and we basically, what they, what they tell us is his mind is still completely fine. So he's just trapped basically. So trapped. I lo love with all their technology, the only thing they can do is just, he can just beep yes or no. <laughs> yeah, that, that seems a little bit silly. This um, box or wheelchair or however you describe it sort of appears a couple of times in pop culture. There's uh, an episode of Futurama where Fry goes to a forbidden planet and uh, he's sentenced to death for going there. He goes to rescue all the original episodes of Star Trek, I think. And um, when they put Fry on trial, they make him get in the same box and he's, um, he's only allowed to <laughs> communicate by beeping. <laughs> I'm trying to think, who's the, uh, the, the captain that's a real arsehole in Futurama? Oh, I know who you're talking about, but I... Absolutely, don't know like his name. Future album is great. I love it. Um, I'm just trying to think. They so Fry goes to beep no to plead not guilty. So they go one beep for yes, um, instead of two beeps for no. It's like oh, 
two beeps, double yes, guilty. <laughs> it's just horrible. Um, yeah, great app. There's actually future has got like so many Star Trek references in it. It's obviously oh, yeah. a huge influence. So the other one is Trekkies. We see a fan that's remade this box and uses it to drive to the shops. Yes, that's right. I liked that moment. Pretty cool. And uh, in in some of the old X-Men comics, Professor X's wheelchair is quite similar. Oh, I don't go. believe it goes I don't believe it goes like all the way up to the neck, but it is what it's got this really like big like enclosed box going on. So Professor X, he's the guy that's played by Patrick Stewart in the movies. Yeah. Yeah, cool. Okay. Who's the, who's the guy that's played by Gandalf? <laughs> Magneto. Cool. Okay. So is Magneto bad or good? Uh Yes. Excellent. I mean, most 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 often a bad guy, but lots of turns is a good guy. Nice. Okay, cool. So, sounds like this accident sort of happened fairly recently, and this is the first time um, Kirk and the crew have been confronted by uh, Captain Pike's um, predicament, I guess, or his current state. Um, Kirk says, uh, "Chris, if there's anything I can do for you," and uh, Pike makes two beeps for no. Kirk and McCoy go to turn and leave, but Spock asks uh, if he can remain behind. Uh, Pike agrees, and uh, Spock says, You know why I've come, Captain. It's only six days away at maximum warp, and we get dramatic music. And Spock says, I have never disobeyed your orders before, Captain, but this time I must. I know it's treachery. And it is mutiny, but I must, I must do this. And Pike just continually beeps, two beeps for no. Very ominous. Um, we get a cool nighttime shot of Starbase 11 with the cool Saturn-like planet in the sky. Yeah, it's really, it's like huge in the background. Yeah, I'd love to hang out there. I don't know if it's a holiday destination or... Deep Space Nine, do people go there for a holiday or are they just there on their way to trade and do stuff? Well, I wouldn't say holiday necessarily, but they are sort of like a, I mean, after after the discovery of the wormhole, they're sort of like a big waypoint. Cool. So on, you might stop in there for a Romulan ale. Yeah, there's bars. Through and, the wormhole. Yeah. yeah, and there's lots of stores and stuff because it's not like a Starfleet station. So people you actually use money. Oh, uh, yeah. And there's gambling. There's tailors with a mysterious background in espionage. Yes. Always good. Okay, so we're in the Commodore's office. Um, Kirk and the Commodore, they're having a bit of an argument um, over whether who sent this message and where it came from. Starbase uh, message logs have... No record of the message. Um, they arrive at the conclusion that a computer expert has been tampering with the logs. And we cut to a shot of Spock creeping around the computer room on the Starbase. And he nerve pinches a technician and knocks him out and then opens up a panel on one of the computers. Uh, the woman from earlier enters. Uh, her name's Miss Piper. And she flirts a bit with Kirk. Of course. And- of course, uh, until the uh, Commodore gets a bit uncomfortable and makes it get to the point. Um, 
Miss Piper mentions that Spock served under Pike and may still be loyal to him. Kirk defends Spock uh, as a Vulcan. He can't not be loyal to his current commander as well as his previous commander. Miss Piper says, we can be certain Captain Pike could not have sent that message. In his condition, he's under constant surveillance. And then we cut to Spock making adjustments inside the computer. And uh, we get a voice that's going up and down in pitch. It's like he's more like he's adjusting a tape recorder rather than a computer. And uh, eventually it uh, gets to a normal sort of man's pitch and the voice says, stand by to receive new orders, Enterprise. And then we cut to the Enterprise bridge uh, and they're receiving this message that Spock's making come out of the computer. Um, they're to be fed directly into the ship's computers. This is top secret and scrambled. Um, Spock, meanwhile, while he's trying to send this message, he has to fight off another Starbase officer. Um, Spock's still trying to adjust dials on the computer while he's being punched in the head by this officer that's <laughs> trying to get him out of this secure area. And then it keeps sort of like you push the officer away and then just get straight back to the dials on the computer. And then eventually sort of turns around and gives the, gives the officer a nerve pinch and knocks him out. By the way, it's really disturbing. It's disturbing how well you're able to fake audio messages. Yeah. You have to be a computer expert, apparently. But yeah, but if you are a computer expert, you can make it say anything at all. Yeah, that's, that is disturbing. And, and nobody on the ship will question your really bizarre orders. Yeah. Well, that's Uhura. You know, she at least wants confirmation. I need to hear from Captain Kirk. And then Spock makes the computer, you know, simulate Kirk's voice and provides the confirmation and basically says, uh, now you'll take your orders from Spock, I guess, or, or just now listen to Spock. You'll fill in the details. And then Spock goes over and gets on the microphone. So, yeah, that's a bit frightening. I'm sure that, yeah, there would have been a good security review after this debacle's <laughs> over. Uh, Kirk and McCoy, they're watching Pike on the CCTV and he's he's just sitting in his room constantly beeping no, uh, which is disturbing. Kirk's figuring out that Spock could be responsible and... Then McCoy comes in and Kirk and McCoy argue and McCoy actually stands up for Spock this time. And I, I guess based on the logic that um, Spock's a Vulcan and Vulcans don't lie and don't do dodgy stuff. Yeah. It's really interesting because, because McCoy's like, you, cause, because Kirk has this line about how he would suspect anybody under these circumstances, like even McCoy and McCoy's like, well, yeah, there are circumstances under which I might, do something like this if I could, but there's no way that Spock would. Yeah. And they do sort of talk about how, or Kirk, I think, mentions that, you know, he's, he's half human. Uh, but McCoy says, yeah, but, you know, that, that the human side's so suppressed, basically. Uh, and then all of a sudden, McCoy is mysteriously hailed to return to the Enterprise for a medical emergency. Um, and he asks, you know, what what the nature of the emergency is, what's what's happening, and uh, he's, he's simply told that uh, they don't have any information, that he just, just has to go back. 
so very suspicious. Um, the Commodore shows Kirk a top secret file about Talus Four. The only Earth ship ever to have visited the planet was the Enterprise, commanded by Captain Christopher Pike, with Science Officer Spock. Uh, and then they suddenly discover they look at the screen and discover Captain Pike is gone. And then they get a message on the intercom from uh, the Starbase crew that the Enterprise is warping out of orbit and won't acknowledge their signal. So this is pretty full on. Yeah, and I like they apparently like going to Dallas Ford carries a death penalty. Yeah, yep, which is extreme. Like the whole the idea of Starfleet having a death penalty at all seems odd. I think there was a reference to this being the only crime or something that still carries the death penalty <laughs> is visiting this planet. I think that's what they said. So pretty terrifying on the bridge spock tells uhura to maintain radio silence and spock makes an announcement that kirk is on medical rest leave and his instructions are that you will obey my orders as you would his Um, mccoy objects but spock takes him aside and plays him a fake message from captain kirk Uh, kirk and the commodore um, they get in a shuttle and pursue the enterprise this is our first shuttle isn't it yeah, it could be. I swear, I, I swear we had a shuttle. No, I swear we had a shuttle before now. I know we talked about it before because we talked about the fact that they didn't have them. Yeah. No, you're probably right, actually. I've been watching so many different series of Star Trek, I'm very confused now. <laughs> so they're trying to pursue a starship in a shuttle. Oh, it's really silly looking. Yeah, and so the Enterprise won't return their hails. They get to the point, they pass the point of no return for fuel. Um, so they can't go back to the Starbase. Uh, they've only got two hours of oxygen left. And Kirk's still desperately trying to, you know, yelling at the Enterprise to answer, basically. Um, Spock, meanwhile, he realizes the shuttle's predicament and uh, he has a bit of a dilemma. So he uses the library computer, I think, to figure out, you know, what what the craft is that's following them and how much fuel it has left. Uh, so on the bridge, um, McCoy's saying to Spock, I keep wondering who might be after us in a shuttlecraft. And I keep coming up with the same answers, but I can't be right, can I, Mr. Spock? Um, Spock locks on the shuttle with a tractor beam and prepares the crew to beam Captain Kirk aboard. And then he turns to McCoy and says, Doctor, as senior officer present, I present myself to you for arrest. And McCoy is shocked. Uh, And he says, the charge is mutiny, Doctor. I never received orders to take command. And, of course, uh, Spock, through all this, is completely logical and emotionless. It's all very procedural. Uh, Security team arrive. to arrest Mr. Spock and McCoy says, Mr. Spock is under arrest, but he has to turn to ask Spock, you know, is, is confinement to quarters enough? And Spock says, you know, I won't make any trouble. Uh, so it's sort of weird that Spock's a senior officer and McCoy's <laughs> way out of his depth. So yeah, this is a, it's pretty full on. Meanwhile, the enterprise has come to a halt so they can pick up the shuttle. Um, the engines start again. Um, Kirk's beamed aboard and he can't disengage the computer control. 
the computer says computer control will not be disengaged until vessel reaches planet Talus four. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, 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 dun. And we cut the shots of Spock um, watching Kirk on his monitor. And yeah, super dramatic music. And then we get uh, Spock has a court hearing. I like the furniture in this cool room, cool chairs and tables. It's that, I think that's what I love so much about this original series. I've said before, it's that Jetson style, you know, future aesthetic. Yeah, I, I always liked that look. So cool. If I had money to burn, I'd um, deck my house out like that. I'm sure your wife will be thrilled. I know. <laughs> or maybe maybe a room. <laughs> there you go. That could be your podcasting room. Podcasting room, that's it. And uh, where I keep my Nintendo or something. Yeah, maybe a bit of Mad Men flavor as well. Drinks cabinet. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously. Yeah. Um, so Spock's hearing, um, Spock waves rights to counsel to represent him and waves rights, tries to waive rights to the hearing and requests an immediate court-martial. And uh, Kirk says they can't conduct a court-martial because mutiny requires a trial board of no less than three command officers. Uh, and Spock points out that Captain Pike is of command rank and Kirk tries to deny this and says, you know, Pike's basically an invalid. Uh, but Spock points out that Pike's still listed as under active duty. So Spock's done his, his homework and, uh, this is all very planned out and very procedural and everyone's caught by surprise basically. So we cut to the court martial now and, uh, the Commodore and Kirk are in green formal tunics, uh, with a nice gold trim. So I think. We sort of talked about this before. Green seems to be the formal colour. Yeah. Although this is a much fancier one than his other green yeah, shirt. Yeah, that's right. So the, the other one seemed to be like a, I don't know, like a cocktail version for entertaining. <laughs> and this is the, you know, the serious full-on military version. Um, Spock's in the equivalent blue tunic uh, with a gold trim. McCoy is also in a blue tunic but it's less grand and it's, it's got just a you know a, a thin sort of gold trim on it and scotty's there as well and he's just in his normal red shirt i think um i think that's all of the regulars that are there for the court martial uh oh and of course so. uh captain christopher pike so spock presents video evidence and this is basically where we start to screen the first pilot episode the cage and kirk stops the show briefly to ask captain pike you know is, is that really you chris that we're seeing on the screen and pike beeps once for yes um kirk says no ship records visual logs that are that detailed so they can't understand how this footage was recorded or where it's coming from and Spock won't reveal the source of the footage yet, but after debate, he's, he's allowed to continue showing the footage as evidence. So we, we went through the cage in detail in our first episode of He's Dead, Jim. Um, so if you're interested, if you haven't heard that, you can um, listen back to that. But basically, I guess a summary of the cage is Christopher Pike takes a landing party to tell us four. They discover a... a a Starfleet crew that crashed there years ago. They're all old men and uh, a beautiful young woman. And I think her name's Vina. 
and mm-hmm. they meet the Telosians, uh, who are basically a, a race that are really good at telepathy and they can basically present illusions. So I think they're so good at telepathy, they've lost their practical skills that they can't maintain their equipment and machines anymore. So they basically need a race of slaves. So they capture Pike uh, and they want him basically to breed with Vina and um, make them a race of slaves to do their engineering. And then eventually they sort of figure out that, you know, humans don't like being held captive. And uh, the big reveal at the end of the episode is that um, Vina all along was actually um, quite old and injured and disfigured. Um, and the Talosians had basically provided the illusion to make her feel young. And they they give her a, um, a clone of... Christopher Pike to keep her company or an illusion of Pike. Uh, and then they let uh, the real Pike and the original Enterprise crew go. I think that's a summary. Is it, Would you summarize it any differently? <laughs> I mean, that's pretty much it. So, yeah, we get occasional interruptions where we go back to the court-martial room. Commodore interrupts the footage and uh, tells Spock, this is a court of space law, not a theatre. And uh, Spock again asks Pike to confirm that they are watching real events and that the footage is not made up. Pike confirms that it's real. The pilot plays up to the point where Captain Pike is captured by the Talosians and then we're interrupted by an urgent message from Uhura from Starfleet Command. They have detected the Enterprises receiving signals from Talos Four. And Kirk is now relieved of command and the Commodore is to take over immediately. Commodore orders Spock to return uh, Enterprise to manual control. Spock declines and Spock is now at risk of death penalty for making contact with Talos Four, And the court is adjourned. Spock pleads with Kirk on the way out to continue watching uh, the footage as uh, his life and Pike's life depend on it. And uh, the episode's to be concluded next week. And we get, as the credits roll up and the music plays, we get shots of Kirk standing alone in the courtroom, pondering what the hell is going on. It's very pensive. It is. So that's part one. Uh, And that includes, yeah, basically most of the new footage. And we're up to part two. For Stardate fans, so part one was Stardate, 30.12.6, 30.12.6, and then part two is Stardate 30.13.1. So we know the Stardates in this still mean absolutely nothing. <laughs> <laughs> just random numbers. I don't think I'll bother writing them down now. I'll just mash the keyboard. So Kirk narrates a bit of a recap montage, and then we return to the pilot footage showing uh, Captain Pike in captivity on Talos Four. And he's being put through simulated scenarios with Vina. And we basically just cut back to the court-martial just to to bookend commercial breaks. Spock keeps talking to Captain Pike, you know, pleading him to consider his own life. But Pike finds uh, Spock guilty. Uh, And the Enterprise enters orbit of Talos IV. Spock explains that the Talosians now control the Enterprise. And uh, we see pilot footage revealing that 
Vina was actually really old all along and severely injured. And she chose to stay on Talus Four so the Talosians' illusions can provide her with a you know, comfortable life. In the original pilot, this is where they gave her the clone of Captain Pike for a companion and let the real captain go, but this part's edited out uh, from the menagerie. And we cut back to the court-martial room. So Kirk goes to address the Commodore, but all of a sudden the Commodore disappears. So the Commodore was an illusion all along. I, d- I don't understand the purpose of that. It surprised me. Even when I rewatched it, I was like, whoa, I forgot about that. I think, so they, actually they do explain it. So the, we get shots of the Talosians, and I don't think I mentioned, so Talosians, are, um, they're classic B-grade aliens, very large craniums. They talk through telepathy, so you hear their voice, but they don't open their mouths. Uh, and you see throbbing veins in their heads whenever they talk. Now, this is very convenient for repackaging it because it just means you can get a voice actor in and you can say make them say whatever, uh, which is handy. So we get uh, shots of the Talosians on the screen and they explain to Kirk that even the Commodore's presence on the shuttlecraft was an illusion. Uh, and I think Spock had obviously been in contact with the Talosians beforehand and they planned this whole mission to get Pike to the planet and Spock explained you know, how clever and uh, determined Kirk is and it was, it was thought it was thought that the the fiction of a court martial would divert Kirk from too soon regaining control of the vessel so I think that's yeah that's I guess that's why they brought the Commodore along to maintain the illusion of a court-martial and keep Kirk distracted for a bit. So the Talosians say that Captain Pike is welcome to spend the rest of his life with them, unfettered by his physical body, and the decision is yours, uh, Captain Kirk, and his. So Spock explains to Kirk that he hid all of this from, from Kirk to protect him from the death penalty. Basically, he didn't want him to be complicit. And just in time, they get a the Enterprise gets a message from Starbase Eleven. Uh, they also receive the images from Talus Four, and General Order Seven, prohibiting contact with Talus Four, is suspended on this occasion, and uh, no action contemplated against Mister Spock. So that's all wrapped up very nicely. Um, Kirk tells Spock to take Pike to the transporter room. And then uh, Vision appears on the screen of Pike looking young, fit and handsome again, uh, walking toward the beautiful Vina, who's young and uh, beautiful again, and uh, taking her hand. They then get into the elevator with the Talosians and descend down into their, their whatever they're called, scientifical areas. And this is the basically the repurposed footage of... Um, Originally, it was Pike's clone um, going to live happily ever after with Vina. And the Talosian voice says to Kirk, Captain Pike has an illusion and you have reality. May you find your way as pleasant. Uh, so there you go. That's that episode. Yeah, again, it's sort of it's sort of hard to judge like how how good this episode is actually is because i'm just like okay i've seen most of this before which does uh, probably take away something from it yeah so i guess um 
be interesting to hear from people that saw this episode first that didn't watch the pilot. Um, shout out and let us know your thoughts on email, I guess. Um, the court martial episodes, they're, they're good. They're very tense and interesting. I, I, uh, we've got a, in a few episodes time, we get uh, Captain Kirk finding himself on trial, uh, which is a, a pretty cool app. And this one, I mean, this episode was, I, guess, I mean, pretty well received at the time. It's one of a few episodes, a few episodes of Star Trek that won uh, Hugo Awards for best dramatic presentation. Oh wow! Now the Hugo Awards—they're science fiction awards, aren't they? Yes. Or were? Yes. No, they're still going on. Still going. Cool. And they are. Yeah. There's there's four episodes of Star Trek including all the series that have won. And it was this, it was City on the Edge of Forever, it was The Inner Light, which is the next generation, one of the best episodes of Next Generation, um, and All Good Things, the, the finale of Next Generation. Fantastic. Yeah, The Inner Light is awesome. There's a famous clip of... William Shatner doing a spoken word version of Rocket Man at the Hugos. And that is something else. If you haven't seen that, <laughs> I might, uh, I'll, I'll share that on our, on the socials. Uh, but it, I think it's early sort of technology where they've, you know, they use, I don't know, it's not blue screen or whatever, but they, um, they've shot a few different versions of Kirk. He basically sings like a spoken word duet with two other versions of himself. <laughs> Oh, and man. They, they're superimposed on top of one another. It's it's something. I, I yeah. I won't. It's not possible to explain how how awesome and bad and awesome it is at the same time. <laughs> All the while he's smoking a cigarette. I mean, give me give me Nimoy doing the ballad of Bilbo Baggins any day. Yeah, they're both great. They're both great things. Obviously, I'm lost for words, but um, <laughs> there's an episode of Family Guy where Stewie does that that whole spoken word Rocket Man and just does it perfectly. Um, I was just so excited. <laughs> I was like, "What the hell are you? What? what like, why?" I'm like, "This is awesome." <laughs> so anyway, I'll post it up and send us your thoughts about Shatner's spoken word music career um but that was cool i like the episode um i thought particularly in the new footage that starbase 11 looked beautiful uh, yes definitely. and i'm assuming that's all the original stuff and original painted backdrops it didn't look cgi anyway if they did do any sort of retouching um yeah so i guess uh follow us on the socials we're at he's dead jim pod on facebook instagram and twitter and uh shoot us an email he's dead jim pod at gmail.com i'd love to hear your thoughts on the menagerie in the cage um particularly interested if yeah you you got to see the menagerie first before the um watching the the cage and send us uh yeah your thoughts on any of the other episodes we've watched recently yeah so i put a shout out on the um facebook page last week about how we were recording about the corbinite maneuver which is one of my favorite apps 
Uh, and one of my mates, Michael Hounslow, got on there and just says, was not happy with this app at all. It's just simply weird. So I love to hear your feedback. <laughs> Did you, uh, are you a Balak fan or are you anti Balak? You know, if I saw anything like that on TV today, I would hate it. But. I don't know. It's there's something so ridiculous about it that it becomes charming on this old '60s rewatch. Yeah, that, that's pretty. That's ridiculous is the word I'd I, I would use to it. It, it um, something about it, an episode that just builds up so much tension uh, about the Enterprise and all the crew about to be totally destroyed by this powerful alien. And then it just ends completely deflated with just having a punch party with this alien that turns out to be a really nice guy. <laughs> and it's just all of a sudden it's just nothing, just completely, like I said, all that tension completely deflated. It's, it's hilarious. It was fun. <laughs> so much fun. Very cool. What do we got next week? We have... The Conscience of the King. The co- oh, oh, yes. This is so, that, like a yeah. Shakespeare one. Yeah. Oh boy. Yeah, I'm, I was excited. I'm like, concerned about that. Okay. Ooh, the week after that we get the Romulans. Oh, sweet. Yeah, that's exciting. Cool. So we'll be back next week to talk about the Shakespeare episode, The Conscience of the King. Emily, where can we find your awesome stuff on the internet? Uh, you can find my Star Wars podcast the canto bite dispatch on itunes and soundcloud and everywhere else and the um on twitter it's canto bite pod and you can find me on twitter at eflind awesome thanks so much thanks everybody have a wonderful week and uh, we'll catch you next time bye bye